Pastor Xavier Reese explains why we need to be ready to receive our King. The church is reminded of the soon return of Christ. The Lord Jesus tells them, Behold, I am coming quickly. The word quickly means suddenly, speedily, without delay. The same word appears seven times in the book of Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, His coming is foretold. What would make us believe that He's not coming? If He came the first time and fulfilled over 300 prophecies, what would make me believe that He's not coming the second time? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Whether it's a TV reality show or YouTube channel, countless individuals are looking for recognition. But does notoriety bring true contentment? Today, as he takes us back to the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier examines what God does for those who make their relationship with Him number one. Let's listen to today's Simple Truths, beginning with our text. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 7 through 13, and the message entitled, The Loving Church, Philadelphia. First comes a proclamation in verse 7. Notice the identity of the recipient of the letter is the angel of Philadelphia, and once again, as in all others, the word Ancalon is a messenger of God. It's talking about the pastor, the one who ministers the word of God. It's not talking about an angel, and it's the church, Ecclesia, those called out of the world to God. Notice our Lord identifies himself as he who is true. So the one who's speaking is absolutely holy, absolutely truthful, the absolutely genuine Messiah. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. He said to his disciples in John 14, 6, our Lord, notice, identifies himself as he who has the keys of David, still in seven. Keys speak of authority and power to control, knowledge as well as identifying his royal office. Now our Lord identifies himself as he who opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. Jesus is not only the door of salvation, but he also is the door to opportunity by which we must walk through to be used by him. Next comes the commendation in verse 8 through 10. As we said, there's no condemnation to Philadelphia. So the commendation here, Jesus knew what they were doing and had done in the past as the other churches Then notice Jesus had set before them an open door, and no one shut it. So we're to be looking for the Lord. Lord, open doors. Behold, boom, here's a door. Here's another door. Rather than being distracted, not even seeking him or asking him for that, okay? But looking for that, expecting that. This door could not be opposed. He opens it. Now the door was sure. Notice Jesus had opened this particular door, and no man would be able to to shut it. It may be impossible with man. Things may look not that good, but if God has called you and directed you and guided you, then he will open those doors. The relevance of this open door is seen as Ramesses explains the geographical setting. Listen carefully. Philadelphia lay at the upper extremity of Long Valley, which opens back from the sea. On passing Philadelphia, the road along this valley ascends to the Phrygian land and the great central plateau, the main mass of Asia Minor. This road was the one that led from the harbor of Smyrna to the northeastern part of Asia Minor and the east in general. The one rival to the great route connecting Ephesus with the east and the great Asian trade route of medieval times. Philadelphia, therefore, was the keeper of the gateway to the plateau, how relevant the message in a geographical and historical setting. 
True to his word, Jesus, notice, always opens doors to the Philadelphia-type church to communicate the gospel message. Uh, again, the motive is agape love. Jesus did it in the New Testament, and um, the Holy Spirit fell on 3,000 at their Pentecost in Acts 2 as Peter is preaching and he saves them. The Holy Spirit forbade Paul to preach in Asia, and he opened the door in Macedonia in Acts 16. Yes, sometimes Jesus says, don't preach here. I want you over here. No, don't speak to this person. Speak to this person. Because God knows the heart of the person, right? He knows who's ready, who's not. Our Lord opens doors at, at Corinth, and, and Paul cannot be hurt. In Acts 18, he says, stop being afraid. No one's going to hurt you. I have many souls in this city. And he stayed there for 18 months, established a church. Ephesus was an open door for three years in Acts 19. For a great and effectual door has opened, Paul says, and there are many adversaries. In 1 Corinthians 16:9, as I said, what a way to describe open doors, many adversaries. <laughs> we say, well, God's opened the door. There's been no problem. Everything's flowing together. Paul describes an effective door just the opposite. God's opened a great door. Man, there's a lot of problems. Wow, what a different perspective, huh? He says, when I came to Troas, preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, 2 Corinthians 2.12. So he acknowledges this. In Colossians 4.3, he says, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Now notice Jesus did it in the Reformation as you look back through Zwingli, Luther, John Calvin, Knox, bringing forth great revivals in England, British Isles, America. He used common men as George Wheatfield, Charles Wesley, Charles Finney, Dwight Moody, Billy Sunday, and many others, men that took advantage of the open door and were obedient to the call of God. Today, he is still opening doors to those who will go and proclaim the gospel. The church in China an incredible example of all that is going on underground. The missionaries were kicked out, and God did a special work just by himself, taking the church underground, and it's growing. It's still there. Billy Graham, his son Franklin, have been faithful to preach the gospel everywhere they go, especially Franklin today. He don't mince words. That's good. Calvary Chapel movement throughout the world. God's used it. Remember, this is the missionary church, and God opens doors and still does so in the gospel. Now look at verse 9. And Jesus um, would abase the ones who oppose the open door. The Lord Jesus identifies their enemy as those of the synagogue of Satan. The allusion is to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14. In four of the seven churches, take note, Satan is found within. The Lord Jesus indicates their Deceptive words, notice this. They were saying they were Jews, but were not. Not all of Israel is Israel. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 2, 28 through 29. The circumcisions of the heart, not outward circumcision. They were, in fact, lying, he says there in verse 9. Okay? John didn't say they were misspeaking. He says they were lying. I got to remind you because that word isn't heard in our culture anymore. Nobody lies. They just misspeak. The Lord identifies his victory over the enemy, notice. Jesus would make them come and worship at the feet of the church of Philadelphia. The word worship there, proskuneo, means to kiss the hand or touch the ground with their forehead in reverence and homage, but not for conversion, 
but here is for judgment. Now Jesus would defeat their opposition. Jesus would humble them to their knees before the church and worship at their feet. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Philippians 2 says. Right now, by grace for repentance and forgiveness, when Jesus returns by force for judgment. There's a big difference. Now notice the Lord Jesus said that they would um, know that he had loved them by his open door, by his victory over them. It is Jesus who can alone triumph over people. If you try to defend yourself, you'll do a bad job. Now, it's very obvious some things you have to deal with right away and stop people or say something that's very obvious. But when people are on the attack over your life or as a Christian, it's continuous. You need to take them before the throne of grace and have God deal with them. Let God defend you. Look at verse 10. Jesus would exempt the church from future testings. The reason was due to the fact that they had kept the command to persevere. They had kept... In the errorist tense, the historical fact, depending on Jesus to do what he commanded. They had been disciplined to yield to the Holy Spirit for obedience. The word perseverance means steadfastness, endurance. In the New Testament, it is used for the characteristics of a man who has not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Literally, it is the word of life, endurance. His is the source as they depend upon him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now notice still in 10, the Lord would keep them from a specific time of testing. Don't miss this. It would involve a definite period of time, indicating by the phrase, the hour of trial. It would include the entire world. Note that implied by the phrase, which shall come upon the whole world, literally, earth dwellers. You and I are not earth dwellers. We are heavenly citizens. We are children of God. We are saints of the Most High. Now, this promise could not refer to normal trials, testings, and tribulations because Scripture refutes it. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. Be a good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? 16, John 16, 33. So Jesus is talking about the normal trials we go through the world. This is very specific. Peter tells us that we're not to think it's strange when fiery trials come upon us, for we partakers of Christ's sufferings in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. John says he is our companion in tribulation in chapter 1, verse 9. So those are all speaking about the regular things we go through in life, even persecution. But this is speaking about a specific hour, a specific trial. The reference here is to the time of the tribulation known as the 70th week of Daniel or Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah. The word from is ek, meaning out of, not through, as some teach, for the church will be removed at the rapture. Jesus said that in John 14, 1 through 4, Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, we're not appointed to wrap at the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the church is cut up, harpazo, removed. Our Lord spoke and identified the great tribulation in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Revelation chapter 6 to 19. Nowhere's the church in there. The only ones to be preserved through the tribulation is Israel, Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Daniel 12, 1, Revelation 12, Matthew 25, 15. Very, very clear. The Antichrist appears, and it is certain when the rapture of the church takes place. 
Russia will attack Israel, Ezekiel 38 and 39. God will destroy five-sixths of that army. And then the Antichrist will appear with all the solutions. And um, he'll establish his kingdom. False peace the first three and a half. No peace at all the last three and a half. A horrible time. Those in the fifth seal are slain in chapter 6, verse 9. And they cry out to God, how long, how long? Kick back. There's a few more of you to be killed before we get it all put together. This was the commendation to Philadelphia. Next comes the exhortation. Look at verse 11. The church is reminded of the soon return of Christ. Great exhortation. The Lord Jesus tells them, behold, I am coming quickly. The word quickly means suddenly, speedily. Without delay, the same word appears seven times in the book of Revelation, 2.5, 2.16, 3.11, 11.14, 22.7, 12.20. And 20. The word behold, once again, gives emphasis to the seriousness of what it's saying, and it says, now hear me out. This is key. Pay attention. Behold. Very important. In the gospel, he said, verily, verily. Truly, truly. Four of the seven times repeat the same statement. Behold. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Let no one take your crown. Revelation 3.11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps my words, the prophecy of this book. Revelation 22.7. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Revelation 22.12. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. Revelation 22.20. Now do you believe he's coming? Four times he says it quickly. Be watching. First John 3.1-4. Everyone who has his hope is, is, uh, purifies himself even as he is pure. One-fifth of scripture is related to prophecy. Do you realize that? 20% of the Bible. One-third of that one-fifth is regarding the second coming. From Genesis to Revelation, his coming is foretold. What would make us believe that he's not coming? If he came the first time and fulfilled over 300 prophecies, what would make me believe that he's not coming the second time? Notice the church is admonished then to guard what they possess in 11. And the phrase hold fast means to hold with a hand and not be discarded. The word is used of Ephesus for Jesus holding the seven stars, which are the ministers of the churches in Revelation 2.1. The word is used of Pergamos, who was holding fast to his name in Revelation 2.13. And the word is used for those who were holding to the doctrine of Balaam and Nicolaitans, bad doctrine in chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. And the word is used for the few Thyatirans to hold fast what they had till he came in Revelation 2, 25. Then notice the church is given the purpose of the admonition that no one may take your crown. The implication is unmistakable. There is always a danger of losing and suffering loss if we are careless. If there isn't a chance, why all the warning and exhortations throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament Colossians 2, 18 through 19, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, and many, many others. You warn believers. You don't warn the non-believer. They're lost. They're deaf. They're death. You give warnings to the person who's alive, who has something to lose. 
The reason for the admonition is that no one take your crown. Notice that the word crown, Stephanus, is used of victorious games, of celebration, or laurel wreath, kind of the Olympic games. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 9.25. And the word is used for all five crowns, the promise to the believer at the Bema Seat of Christ. The crown is not for works, for salvation, but it is a reward for the reason why we did the things. Did I do them out of love, love for Christ, love for people, then I have a reward. If what I do is not motivated by God's love, then it's worthless. And that will be in the Bema Seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Again, the motive in 4, 5 is the heart, and um, Christ will be the judge. Some of the ways we can allow people to spoil our crown are very, very common. Listen carefully. We allow the pressure of the day to have us compromise. We allow the influence of others to do things for the wrong motive. We get away from the truth of the word, and we corrupt it or ourselves. We do not walk in the open doors. Jesus opens, and we walk in the doors that we want. We do not depend on the strength for service but our own. And you can keep the list going, many other things. So this was the exhortation to Philadelphia. Last as all of them comes the application in 12 and 13. Look at 12. The declaration is an invitation with promise and reward like all the others. The one receiving the reward is the overcomer in all the churches. Again, in the first three, this came after the call to hear, to Thyatira and Sardis, and now Philadelphia, it is before. It is a timeless promise. It is the one who abides in Christ Jesus, who is the overcomer, John 15, 1 through 6. It is the faith of the Christian that overcomes the world in 1 John 5, 4 through 5. The person who will reward is Jesus. I, there in verse 12, the Lord will do several things for the individual. Mark them well in 12. First, the overcomer will be made the pillar in the temple of his God. In the ancient world, they would print a person's name on a pillar and erect it in his honor. Paul tells Timothy that the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church in 2 Timothy 3.15. Peter, James, and John were said to be pillars of the church by Paul in Galatians 2.9. The overcomer will be as Christ, which the church is a reflection of through the New Testament. The pillar speaks of permanency, stability, strength in the temple, nows, the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. We see this Ephesians 2, 20 and 22. But secondly, notice the overcomer will have permanent residence with God to go out no more. It speaks of permanence, perfection, from wavering, a total rest and peace. Significant when we recall that the people constantly ran out due to the earthquakes. You're not freaking out anymore. You're resting. Okay? No more earthquakes. No more testing. No more trials. You're there. It speaks of the belonging and, and the promise of Jesus to his disciples. Notice thirdly, the overcomer will have the name of his God and the city of his God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, from God. The book of Hebrews 12, 22 to 29 speaks about it. Revelation 21, 9, 22, 6. One cannot miss the parallel of the city that was founded with the intention that it might be a missionary to culture the Greek culture, and the language of Lydia and Phrygia, which lost their language, they were overtaken from it. And so the same here with Philadelphia. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their forehead, Revelation 22, 4 says. 
144,000 Jews have their father's name in their forehead, as we see in Revelation 14.1. It speaks of ownership, privilege, authority, character, faithfulness. But fourthly, notice the overcomer will have Jesus write on him the new name of Jesus. This is significant in that the name of the city was changed by Tiberius and Vespasian, if you remember. The name of Jesus is called the Word of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords in Revelation 19, 13, 16. In that day, he shall be called the Lord to sit canoe, the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, 6. It speaks of a personal individual and eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, Isaiah 56, 5. Then notice the declaration is an invitation to anyone. There must be a willingness to listen as an individual if you find yourself any less than what Philadelphia is or I. There is a sense of responsibility, accountability to what is being heard. There is a culpability to every person for listening to take the way of repentance if need be. The words he who has a near let him hear are famous words of Jesus. Take heed how you hear what you hear over and over again. And then notice also the declaration is an invitation to obey what the Spirit says to the churches. The word here, akuo, again, the faculty of hearing, not one that's deaf. The idea is that of hearing with keen, sensitive hearing to obey. Literally, let him accurately and effectively hear just as the other churches. They all get the same application. The obedience is not limited to the message of the Church of Philadelphia, but all seven messages, as we have pointed out. The word churches is in the plural. The Spirit is the speaker in the person of Jesus Christ, the comforter, the one that brings him glory. So this was the application to Philadelphia. Let me close with a poem. Listen carefully. I think that I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be, a church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way, a church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues, a church whose deacons always deke and none is proud and all are meek, where gossips never peddle lies or make complaints or criticize, where all are always sweet and kind and all to others faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me, but still we'll work and pray and plan to make our own the best we can. (laughs) If you're looking for the perfect church, please, when you find it, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Remember your life and remember your little strength. Remember he opens doors. Remember he's coming. The message to the Church of Philadelphia is to keep trusting and walking by faith through the open doors because he's coming suddenly. The message speaks of a local church in John's day. The message speaks of a period of history, 1750 towards about 1950. The message speaks of a type of church that will exist through the church age from Pentecost to the rapture. And the message speaks of a type of Christian throughout the church age. And so once again, we get to take the exam. Pastor Xavier Reese with challenging words and the simple truths of hope and encouragement of things to come. 
And you can request a copy of today's message, The Loving Church, Philadelphia, available on CD for just $4. And we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Again, today's study is titled, The Loving Church, Philadelphia. Now, if you'd prefer the entire series, The Seven Churches of the Book of Revelation, we have available a 10-part CD album for only $27, or in the convenient MP3 format on a single disc for just $10. This is Pastor Xavier's complete teaching on Revelation, chapters 1 through 5, packaged in one 10-CD study album for $27, or single MP3 disc for just $10. Again, called The Seven Churches of the Book of Revelation, available when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. That's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Can you have one foot in the world and one in the kingdom? Find out how lukewarm Christians fare on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com